Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 114. Severe could include all of those activities, but also would suggest that a country such as the US or the UK has uh, sanctioned the vessel for whatever reason. One of the anomalies we found is in Panama specifically, there are a very large number of vessels with a known owner. My name is Pesh Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global. Now, understanding maritime shipping is truly important and a really critical step in the international trade system. According to the OECD, around 90% of global trade is carried out by maritime transport, and this accounts for $14 billion annually. Oceans cover 71% of the surface. That's around 361 million square kilometers. Now, there are around 68,000 cargo carrying vessels currently operating on the seas and 12% of them, or just over 8,000, have an unknown owner. And this poses regulatory and risk issues for those involved in international trade. The size of both the maritime shipping industry and the physical size of the ocean makes monitoring within this industry incredibly challenging for all players involved in international trade and requires a concerted effort to better understand the nuances of the industry. This is why the Institute of International Banking Law and Practice have just released their white paper with S&P Global's Maritime Intelligence on Vessel Ownership, Trade Finance and Regulatory Compliance. And I'm happy to introduce two of the paper's authors, Michael Byrne, CEO of IABLP, and also Tom Carderman, CEO of Global Financial Integrity, who will really help us break down vessel ownership and regulatory environments in the maritime industry. So joining us from Washington, welcome, Michael. Welcome, Tom. Thank you for joining. Thank you so much, Deepesh. Great to be here. Great to be with you, Deepesh. Thanks. Thank you. Let's ask for a quick overview, an elevator pitch. And Michael, I know you featured on a similar podcast this time last year, but quick overview. Who are you? Where are you from? And what do you do? Michael, over to you. Perfect. Thank you. So it's great to be back. And everybody listening should definitely go hear our podcast from a year ago. I think it was number two or three most listened to. It's worth a listen. So I'm Michael. I'm the CEO of the Institute of International Banking Law and Practice. We work in the trade finance and trade compliance space, mostly with financial institutions. Uh, we hold events all over the world and really bring the experts together to figure out what the correct policies are, what sorts of policies banks ought to have for dealing with trade, trade finance, and uh, trade compliance issues. And Vessel Monitoring vessel issues has been a very big piece of what we've done in the last couple of years since it's kind of a hot mess. We hope that this paper, some of the other work we've done, will help clarify that. Thanks, Michael. And indeed, a top trending podcast of the last year. Tom, over to you. Yes, thanks, Deepesh. My name is Tom Cardamone. I am President and CEO of Global Financial Integrity. We are a Washington, D.C.-based think tank and research organization. We're focused on the amount of illicit money flowing around the world, illicit financial flows, but that also includes illicit trade and trade-based money laundering and the mechanisms that help facilitate the movement of that illicit trade or illicit money. We work with a lot of nonprofit groups around the world and engage with governments to try to implement 
rules, regulations, policies, laws that helps create more transparency, which we believe would lead to more accountability and a reduction in illegal activity. Thanks, Tom, and really appreciate the work you're doing on fighting transnational crime. Now, Michael, combating both sanctions and financial crime often starts with monitoring suspicious vessels. And some of the two biggest regulators within the industry, the US OFAC and the UK OFSI, do provide some form of responses. It's been quite a while since we've heard something from those two institutions. But could you just summarize some of the last responses from those two parties? It all came around in 2020. The US OFAC and a couple of months later, OFSI released some guidelines that financial institutions and other traders needed to be paying attention to. Now, when it's these two organizations saying you should be paying attention and this is what we recommend, here's some guidance, it may may as well carry the weight of the rules because you know you're going to be audited against or your bank examination is going to ask you around those questions. And what they said is financial institutions need to be aware of what the ships carrying the goods that they are financing are doing. They need to be aware that certain uh, shipping corridors have lots of ship-to-ship transfers, commodities can be traded between the different vessels, and that banks need to be aware. For example, you can go from the port of Jebel Ali outside of the UAE over to Iran and back in 24 hours or less. What often can happen is that vessels will make a uh, a sanctioned run, as we like to call it, and be able to drop off goods to a, a sanctioned port and come back because the technology used doesn't track you minute by minute. Someone or the government or, or even the bank may not know that the vessel that their goods are on went to some of these countries that are a big, big no-no. And so what OFAC and OFSI said is you need to be aware of what's happening with the vessel. So you need to do a, an assessment of where Where are your goods going? Are they in risky corridors? Are they going to an area that is near sanctioned countries? And you need to do additional due diligence on your customer to make sure they're not a part of it. On the vessel owners, if the information is available, and then certainly the habits of the vessel over the prior few years to know that this is a reoccurring thing or no, as far as we can tell, it is not engaged in any sort of illicit behavior. And that's in a nutshell, as far as financial institutions go, is what they need to be aware of. Thanks, Michael. And I think that was well covered in the last white paper that you released in response to the OFAC and Anofsi recommendations, particularly around that sanctioned run. And, and there were lots of examples of ships taking that run into the port of Iran, t- turning off their AIS systems. This white paper specifically looks over those 68,000 vessels that I alluded to earlier. And, and Tom, I think I read that 12% had an unknown owner information, for example, the group owner or the domicile. Is it me or is that quite a staggering number? Yes, I think staggering is the proper term for this. Uh, When you have some 8,000 ships, when very, very little is known about uh, the ownership of the vessel, that's critically important to financial institutions that are financing a particular trade, insurance companies that may be insuring these vessels, certainly port security. If you're allowing a ship into your port and you don't know who owns the ship, that can be problematic, as well as the fact that these ships may be facilitating illicit trade of one form or another. I think it's a very high risk situation when you have that number of ships with unknown ownership. I would also quickly add that there is some difference between how organizations such as ours in the transparency field, say, define the word beneficial owner and how the shipping industry defines beneficial owner. Shipping industry would suggest that 
If you have a company name, you have identified the beneficial owner. Organizations that work in the transparency space suggest that you actually need to drill down even further to find the flesh and blood person or people who benefit financially from a particular company. Given that difference in definition, the amount of ships that have unknown owners is extremely high. Even with the known owners of vessels under their definition, nearly 30% had a warning or severe compliance score. What does this mean? What's the definition of this compliance score? And what are the implications of this 30% having such a terrible score? The data that we used for this paper was supplied by S&P Global. And S&P Global has their own internal definition of what providing a vessel with a status of warning or severe means. In the case of warning, that would suggest behavior that would indicate travels to high-risk jurisdictions, ships going dark, so to speak, for a significant period of time, excessive ship-to-ship transfers, things along those lines. Severe could include all of those activities, but also would suggest that a country such as the U.S. or the U.K. has uh, sanctioned the vessel for whatever reason, or that it's on a watch list. That's the definition of those two terms, warning and severe. And when you have 30% of ships with a warning or severe status, that again suggests that a lot more needs to be done in terms of oversight and pressuring ship owners, companies, operating firms to play by the rules and to clean up the racks, so to speak, to ensure that the amount of illegal activity is reduced. Thank you. And Michael, what are the top three countries that this report shows in terms of showing that warning or severe compliance status in their unknown vessels? And why might this be so? We went through the the data using both uh, the information in there and what most people in the financial crime space think of as as the countries where flags of convenience, and we'll cover that a little later, are often used. It's clearly Panama, the Marshall Islands, and Liberia. And as you go through and you look at each of those, Panama makes sense for a number of reasons. One of them, of course, is the Panama Canal. So a lot of vessels are registered there. I think I don't have that specific piece of data in front of me, but I think it has the most vessels registered. And for the other two, the Marshall Islands and Liberia, in the best of light, it's a way to make some additional money and to have a role in in global commerce. I think what the data is showing, though, is that countries like Panama, it has a number of interesting, and actually we will get to this a little later as well, it has some interesting anomalies baked into it because there's a number of totally legitimate vessels registered there and there are business reasons for it. But when you start to look at the Marshall Islands and Liberia, you find that the number of those countries that have the status is the warning and the severe status, it's unbelievable. I think it would be fair to say, certainly for Liberia and Marshall Islands, you should probably just avoid those. Panama is a little more challenging, and again, we'll come to it later, because there are a number of real business reasons for it. If you're looking to spot the countries and the the flags for the different vessels, if Liberia, Marshall Islands, and even Panama come up, you should probably give it some additional due diligence. Now, of course, I haven't said anything about North Korea, because certainly if you're a US or UK-based organization and your goods are on a North Korean flagged vessel, you are in a whole heap of trouble. In terms of the rest of the world, you know, those are the three that, that we found 
requires some, you know, a little bit of nuance and a little bit of paying attention to what's going on. We'll leave it at that for now. Thanks, Michael. And I did actually have to look up the location of the the Marshall Islands. It's a little island country near the equator in, in the Pacific Ocean, slightly west of the international date line. And geographically, it still forms part of the Micronesia island group. But actually, just going on to those other anomalies vis-a-vis the Panama Canal piece, can you talk through why there might be a large concentration of unknown vessels? Sure. First, though, if you don't mind, I'm going to cover the biggest anomaly that we found while going through, and it actually is related to known owners, but with a warning flag. As Tom said earlier, the definitions used or the criteria used to determine whether something deserves a warning includes complicated ownership structures, and um, there's a number of other specifics. And one of the anomalies we found is in Panama, specifically, there are a very large number of vessels with a known owner. So there was uh, 5,277 vessels with a known owner registered in Panama. And of that, 74% had a known owner, but the warning status. And that is a quite huge number when you think that, okay, the owner is known, what could be going on here? So we did have to dig in a little bit. And what we found is that Of that 74%, which is 3,900 vessels, about 3,800 of them have a group owner whose the the company's name is listed, come from seven APAC countries, Japan, the People's Republic of China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Singapore, South Korea, and Vietnam. So you can find the company that's listed as the ultimate group owner. We dug in a little further. We had to speak with a number of shipping experts. And it turns out that in those instances, these have known owners, there's a business case for doing that. For example, a Japanese flagged vessel must be captained by a Japanese citizen captain, which is likely to be more costly than someone from a different country. The crew The majority of them, certainly the senior level ones, must be Japanese citizens as well. And for most of them, the vessels make what they call the east-west runs, and they basically go from Asia through the Panama Canal and in and around America's bringing goods back and forth, well, I guess over, and then I think probably empty containers back, if I remember my recent news. And of that whole number, the more than two-thirds register below the the new Panamax size. So they're really, it's the business cases. You get a discount if you are registered in Panama, but the owners are known. That was kind of a bit of an anomaly that makes some of the numbers seem a little bit skewed. And we always thought it was important to highlight that sort of thing. But from there, I don't think it changes the real purpose of this work, which is, again, this isn't our opinions. The numbers, as as we've been saying this whole podcast, are clear. A staggering number of vessels have unknown owners. And of those, an additional staggering number have either warning or severe compliance status. And either of those need a financial institution in this case and other organizations to do it additional due diligence and additional research into. I think that was the anomaly that stood out to me the most. And uh, again, it doesn't change the bottom line. You got to know the owner of your vessel. Thank you, Michael. And Tom, I was reading in the paper, there are some 500 ships with unknown owners visiting some of the US ports. But what's interesting is they're visiting 7,000 times a year, which doesn't quite add up, right? Well, that's right. It's uh, If you do the math, it's about 20 visits per day by ships with unknown owners. And for a country as large as ours with so many ports, that is a concern for port security, not knowing who's entering your waters, who's entering your ports, what's on the ship. It's well known that uh, CBP is only able to check about 2% of the containers that come into the country in a particular year. That raises some red flags that there are that many visits 
tenants with unknown ownership. Again, circle back to the issue of the possibility of facilitating illicit trade of one form or another. I mean, the numbers are staggering. The estimates of the value of counterfeit goods that are traded around the world every year is about a trillion dollars. And if you add illegal fishing and illegal logging and illegal mining, all of which tend to be delivered by ship, you add another $150 billion or so of goods. So when you look at the magnitude of the illicit trade each year, and now we're learning through this research how many ships have known owners but have warning or severe status applied to those vessels, you put these things together and you see the level of risk is quite high. Thanks, Tom. Certainly facilitators of transnational crime, particularly those vessels with unknown numbers. Tom, why should financial institutions be engaged here? Well, I think because they are at risk for financing trades that can be delivered by ships with unknown owners and or with warning or severe statuses applied to the ships. That puts the financial institution at risk for being involved, possibly being involved with transactions that may be evading sanctions or may be illegal in some way. And for the same reason, insurance firms, firms that insure ships should know who the beneficial owners of these vessels are, again, to limit financial risk of fraud and other illegal activity. This from a very simple, basic business standpoint. You should understand who you're doing business with. And if you're in a financial institution, if you are the head of trade finance and you're not bothering to look down into the level of which ship are these goods being delivered on, you're turning a blind eye to potential risk to your institution. Thanks, Tom. I guess we need to add KYV, know your vessel, to the long list of That's right. abbreviations that we have in the industry. Tom, I guess just closing this off, I know last time we discussed a lot around the disconnect between maritime operators and trade finance institutions, which seems to be a continuing theme here. But actually, off the back of this report, what are your top policy and government recommendations coming out of the paper? Globally, there should be a beneficial ownership registry just for commercial shipping. You may know over 110 governments have committed to implementing a beneficial ownership registry for what are now known as anonymous shell companies to eliminate the financial and crime risk associated with corporate entities that have no 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 owners. What we're seeing is that such a high percentage of vessels have unknown owners. There should be, in our view, a separate beneficial ownership registry just for shipping as a way for financial institutions, insurance firms, and others to understand who they're doing business with and whether a particular vessel is being as transparent as it possibly can be. I think that's from a global standpoint. From our view, that would be operated, managed by the International Maritime Organization would be the logical place to hold that registry. From a U.S. standpoint, it's our view that Customs and Border Protection should require any vessel coming into U.S. waters to provide their beneficial ownership information prior to docking. That protects port security and can help reduce the amount of illicit goods coming into the country. So those are the sort of our top line things. It's very essential. 
just to create more transparency where we're seeing a lot of opacity. Thank you very much, Tom, and also Michael for coming on and discussing this pretty important report and and two very important take homes for stakeholders, really a call for a registry for commercial shipping owned potentially and run by the IMO, the International Maritime Organization, and a real call to action to US Customs and Border Protection to provide beneficial ownership of vessels prior to them docking. And and you can see the numbers for yourself by reading this white paper and, and also some of the graphs that really bring the story to light. Michael, Tom, thank you for joining us from Washington following the launch of your white paper. Such a pleasure to have you on Trade Talks. Thank you, Deepesh. It's great to be here. And if I can do a quick shout out, we will be doing a launch event for this paper. I can't remember the podcast will be out slightly before or slightly after, but we hope you will join us either in person or virtually. If you go to the Institute's website, you can find the registration link. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com.